Welcome to the Readerly Report. Your hosts are Gail Weiswasser and Nicole Bonilla. We hope you will enjoy our candid book conversations, recommendations, and observations on the reading life. Thanks so much for joining us. So, welcome to another edition of the Readerly Report. Gail and I are super excited today because um, our former president, Barack Obama, has announced his summer reading list. And so we thought we would take the opportunity to discuss presidential reading lists. And then we realized that our current president really doesn't read. So we're basically going to talk about Barack Obama's reading list. And even if he did, I don't think I'd want to read any of whatever it is he reads. Maybe a lot of business books. Maybe. I don't know. He may not think he needs the help. But So what we are going to do is delve right in and talk about his most recent list. And then uh, courtesy of Mental Floss, we have a list of 86 books that he has recommended or he feels like were childhood favorites or have shaped him in some way. And we're going to kind of go through that. So, what did you think of this year's list? Well, it was short. It's only five books. Um, why don't I say what they are first? Two I've read. <laughs> Two you've read but and yes, one I've they... read, yeah. Um, the first is uh, Educated by Tara Westover, which I know you've read. Um, second is Warlight by Michael, I don't know how to say his name, Undaje, the one who wrote The English Patient. Um, but this is a new book that he has out about World War II. Um, a House for Mr. Biswas by V.S. Naipul, which came out in 1961. And I believe that that author just died. Maybe wrong, but I think he did. Yes, and I think that's why he decided to revisit okay. this book. Uh, for an American Marriage, which you and I both read, Tyari Jones. Woohoo! And number five is called Factfulness 10 Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think. She's a nice... Someone actually just recommended that book to me, and I have it on my list of books that, you know, I want to buy at some point and read. Um, I like the premise of it, you know, that, that things are better than we think they are, because I actually do think that they are. I've noticed that when I'm not sort of tuned into every terrible thing that's going on all over the world, my life feels better. Because I think humans are, you know, I think the point that this book is making is that humans are local people. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still local. Like, we cannot address all of the terrible things that are happening everywhere in any meaningful kind of way. It's overwhelming. And I do think that things are. It's overwhelming. And I do think that things are improving. I mean, I, I do really believe, I mean... We definitely have our issues and things that are going on, but I do believe that the news basically is about gathering up every awful thing in the world that you really don't have solutions for and just overwhelming you with it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that maybe the world is improving in some ways and it's not in others. I mean, you look at like the environment and global warming. I think that's an area that we're not improving. Um, but then you also look at maybe healthcare or at least some, you know, medical breakthroughs or, I don't know, in other other parts of the world, I do think there are places we're improving. That would be a good book to pick up. Right. 
to see the the different points that are being made and whether you agree with them or not. Yeah. Maybe because even with something like global warming or the environment, there are, I mean, there, there are just a lot of things that we would not want. But at the same time, I, I do feel like people are coming around and starting to do their part. Like I just see that there's so much more composting and recycling and, you know, I mean, I live in a big city, so you know, I'm not sure how prevalent that is other places, but I definitely see those initiatives and those concerns being addressed in New York. Mm-hmm. So, I think that Obama is fundamentally an optimistic person, and I think his view I think of I the am world. Too. Yeah, well, that's good, and I think that his view of the world is is a forward looking one as opposed to one of. Uh, sort of contraction and introspection. I mean, I think he's, I think he views the world in an expansive way. And I think we can see that as we look through the longer list. Um, and so the fact that this book is on there, uh, I think is, is telling. And I think also what we have to discuss or at least acknowledge as we go through this list is that Obama must know in his mind, he's making a statement by including these books. So Maybe what he's trying to do is inject some positivity into the world or the world debate or the intellectual debate right now, which is so, so negative. So choosing this book, you know, maybe it may have been a book he was drawn to personally, but I think he also is encouraging us to think positively by putting it on the list. Well, too, I think, I mean, looking at this selection of books, it's sort of an overview on issues that we are that we're discussing. I mean, American Marriage, it was a very personal book about sort of the African-American experience with wrongful imprisonment imprisonment, and how it affects people. You know, Educated is sort of about these, these parts of the country that people have not really paid attention to and her struggle to embrace a different life. So, I mean... Yeah, that is an optimistic book about overcoming these things. And even in American Marriage, they overcome. I can't really speak to the V.S. Nipel because I have not read it. But I also think it's interesting that he would pick the World War II, you know, which he says is a meditation on the lingering effects of war on family because, I don't know, we're always warring over something. Right. He also always has a very international view like he doesn't stick to American writers he doesn't stick to one gender one race I mean it's always very multicultural and and broad should we maybe we should delve over to the other list okay um, so everyone knows what we we thought about educated and an American marriage yeah I haven't read it educated yet but I've heard nothing but amazing things about it it's it's really interesting my book club didn't love it um I don't know why. Um, as I think about the discussion that we had, I think that they wanted more from her narrative. And I suspect that the story that she's told, I think that there is more there and that she picked, she did pick and choose some things that, that she chose, that she chose to address. And I think part of it was just the fact that the narrative framing this book sort of is, you know, it's focused on, I guess, the description. People mentioned the Mormon aspect, and they're expecting more of the Mormon aspect 
and they were Mormons, but her father was just so extreme that it really was not about that at all. So there was a little bit of, I guess, misdirection mm. with the, with the, with the description that, that disappointed, you know, people's expectations were not satisfied. All right. I have this one sitting in audio on the volumes app. So maybe I'll get to it at some point. I wonder who narrated it. It's Julia Whalen. So it's not read by the author. And it's funny, I'm reading another book by her right now, her narration. Um, so she's pretty good. Do you like her? Okay. That's she's good. okay. I mean, I'm, she did Vox, which is what I'm reading right now. And she's got a very angry delivery in Vox, but that's because the character is very angry. So I, I know <laughs> I've read other, listened to other books that she's narrated. I'll have to check and see what they are. Uh, right. So, um, I don't know. It's funny for a memoir to not have it be, uh, narrated by the author. Right. I'm looking to see. Yeah. I think I, I think I read a memoir, um, when I did rough beauty, it was not actually, I have to check. I don't think it was narrated by the author either. Hmm. Julia Whalen was the narrator for Matilda in, or Matilde in Fates and Furies. Uh, and as far as I can tell, that's the only other thing I've listened to her narrate, at least where I've named her by name in the review. So I could right. do a little other research, but that's what came up when I Googled her, checked, searched her name on my blog. All right. So looking at the mental floss list, and we'll include this link in the show notes. Um, in fact, if you want to take a minute and follow along with us, um, it is... I don't know. Maybe you should just Google it because it's not really a, it's not, yeah. it's not really a um, a hyperlink that lends itself to just no. saying whatever, whatever. So, eighty six books Barack Obama recommended during his pregnancy. I mean, his pregnancy, right. his presidency. <laughs> my God, where my brain is. So um, these are, um, as you mentioned at the tops, from some summer reading lists, also childhood favorites. Uh, recommendations he made for his daughter, Malia. And so just books that he's, you know, in interviews that he's talked about books that shaped him and things like that. So there, it's, it's not, this is broader than just his annual summer reading list. This is funny. Cause he also said he made the, t- it says that he made the time to brush up on the lives of his predecessors. So he's got, uh, you know, he's got some presidential reading in there. Yeah. Lots, lots of uh, biography and, um, Political books, uh, you know, Doris Kearns Goodwin-esque books, like he's got, um, here we go, The Rise of Theodore Roosevelt, John Adams, Lincoln, The Biography of a Writer, Defining Moment, FDR's Hundred Days and the Triumph of Hope, FDR, Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln, Collected Works of Abraham Lincoln. It must be quite an experience. Lots of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah. It must be amazing to be president and read books about other presidents. I mean, it just must be such right. a, such a <laughs> Washington, a life. Um, just looking to see what other presidents, what, president stuff. Yeah. Um, any Winston Churchill? I say that cause I just finished a Winston Churchill book not too long ago. I don't see that. Um, yeah, a lot, that's lots of, uh, Lots of president stuff. Um, he also has just political books like Unequal Democracy, The Political Economy of the New Gilded Age. Um, 
post-American world. Um, let's see. I'm just looking to see what other political stuff is in here. And he also has a lot of classics. So he's got Heart of Darkness, uh, Hundred Years of Solitude, The Naked and the Dead, Treasure Island, Mice and Men, The Great Gatsby. I'm guessing some of those are books he recommended for his daughters. Um, so, you know, oh, The Federalist. So definitely books that you would find in a high school curriculum. Quite American, things like that. Um, those are, you know, he's got obviously a view of what makes kind of a well-rounded person. So he's got a lot of those in there. Um, I was really intrigued to find that he likes some of our popcorn thrillers. <laughs> he had, uh, I think I saw Gone Girl on here. I did. I saw that too. I was going to make that comment that he likes a little bit. Um, I wonder if he got that. I wonder, see, that is a particular book that I wonder how he got that recommendation, you know, that recommendation or that idea, you know, was he browsing on one of his vacations and he said, ah, Gone Girl, or was it sort of like, well, I mean, I think had he, he heard a lot about it. I think he's heard a lot about it. I mean, he reads like, I'm sure he reads a lot. And so I'm sure he reads book reviews and he probably pays attention to the bestseller list. And so there was Gone Girl. Um, the Girl on the Train, he has those two. So he's clearly, you know, picking the best of the, or the, the most talked about of the popcorn thrillers. Um, right. He also has, what was I going to say? Some books that are uh, like all the light we cannot see. You know, <laughs> does, does Obama need um, more World War II knowledge in his brain? Probably not. He probably picked this one up because of the buzz. He heard it was good. Yeah. Did, did it also win the Pulitzer? Didn't it? But we're assuming, I mean, these are his recommendations. So he must have read this and thought it was good. Or do you think that he's recommending, like you said, he's keeping his audience, you know, he, to some degree. I mean, I know that there are people who are choosing to his list as sort of like a reading challenge, you know, to read the books that Obama has read? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. And do you think so, he's sharing his to-do to TBR or is he picking, is he sharing the books that he already read? Well, I guess for purposes of this discussion, we're going to have to make a few assumptions. We're going to have to assume that he's read the books and he's recommend, re recommending them. Um, if he's recommending some things for his daughters, I'm just going back to the wording for this. Yeah. They are pulled from places like his reading list, his childhood favorites, recommendations he's made for his daughters. And then in the Wired interview, which I think that they list right up in the beginning, he cites several titles that significantly shaped him. And those were a lot of the political novels. Actually, no, there's some fiction. There's the John Steinbeck. Um, Sapiens is something that I've been wanting to read for a while. Mm -hmm. Thinking fast and slow. So a lot of social science kind of stuff is what he says has shaped him. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Interesting. So I, I like the girl on the train. Mm -hmm. um, I thought that was a pretty good, I thought that was a pretty good thriller. I also read the underground railroad, which I really liked um, by Colson Whitehead. Mm -hmm. So I think that these, I think that these are his recommendations. Yeah. What, what did you I, read the low hand? Did you read the Lowland by Jambalahiri? Oh uh, yeah. Did you and I talk about that one? 
Didn't we talk yeah, about that on a, probably, in a podcast I think a I long just, time ago? I just read it um, probably because I read it last year. Oh, okay. Yes. And I really loved it. I love, I mean, I love, 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 love her books. Um, what's interesting to me that's missing from these, for the most part, that's missing from these lists, which I don't think is surprising at all given that he's Obama and given that he's a man, there's not a lot of what I would call relationship fiction in here. Uh, maybe Fates and Furies, you could consider that relationship fiction, and maybe an American Marriage, but I think the American Marriage is, is a is a bigger book than that. Despite the fact that it's a small a small story about a few people, I think the themes in there are so big. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of what I read of you know sort of books that suck you in because it's you're delving into a relationship. Obama seems to pair his fiction with issues. So it's issues fiction. Like, for example, Redeployment, that's a book I read. Phil Cly, that is a book about being a soldier, uh, I think, was in Afghanistan. Was that or was that an actual novel? I feel like that was a novel. I'm going to look it up. I don't remember that well. Um, so his fiction, he takes in, he multitasks with his fiction, and he um, covers big current issues along with his fiction at the same time so that he's kind of getting, he's killing two birds with one stone. Phil, uh, Phil Cly's redeployment is yes, a collection of stories about life as a soldier in Iraq. So, um, you know, it's fiction, but it's really timely specific. Yeah. Timely and specific. So, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything on here that actually surprises me. I'm sure he curates this very carefully, so he doesn't, you know, impulsively put things on. Yeah, I don't think you can just impulsively throw books on your list no. when you're the press. No. I wonder if he has someone who helps him vet. I'm sure he does. You know, um, I'm trying to think what could be shocking. Uh, um, <laughs> well, Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> what are we saying about this? Right. Uh, he... Obviously, he's really interested in India. He's got Beyond the Beautiful Forevers on here. He has The Lowland. He, um, I'm trying to think. The, uh, how do I pronounce it? Is it V.S. Naipaul? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Sounds good to me. Uh, although, that might not be it. Oh, he has The Way Home on there by George Pelicanos. That's, that was a good book. He also has H's for Hawk. That may go against what I'm saying about the kind of the relationship sort of literary fiction type thing. And it's clearly a list of someone who's very curious about the world. He has Atul Gawande's Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End. You know, so he's Cancer Ward. Um, He has books that are clearly just things he's interested in some of these i've never heard of i read seven eves by neil stevenson what is that that was a really interesting book it's uh, there is an explosion that happens and so the earth has i don't they have like it has like seven moons and then something happens that sort of sets those moons out of their orbit. So, I mean, there's there's the initial explosion that explodes the moons into these seven different pieces that people have named. And they know that eventually 
these pieces are not stable and they are going to destroy the earth. So basically, people are investing a great amount of time and resources in figuring out what are they going to do um, with the population and sort of like organizing who and making choices about who will get to go. And I think there's some interesting things going on because, you know, those are big questions to consider living on a planet that you know in your lifetime is doomed and knowing that you probably are not going to be the ones who have been saved in this lottery. And how do you, you know, what are the choices you make? How do you live your life when, you know, when your life is going to end basically pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and just about sorting out those choices of who gets to benefit from the space that they have or, you know, the movements that they're going to make in order to save some of the people. And, you know, um, it revolves around a lot around the relationships of the people who are working to make these changes and the relationships they have with their family. So it's, I mean, not far fetched to think that maybe these are things that, you know, contingency plans that we know nothing about, you know, in case of something drastic. I mean, we have these for out of outer space, you know, I'm assuming that there are that there there must be so many contingency plans in the government, you know, if even for things that I guess compared to space would be more mundane, like more mundane but just as catastrophic, like a hurricane or flooding or, you know, a terrorist disaster, you know, what do you do with people and how do you make choices and who do you save? So mm-hmm. I guess that that choice just really makes sense and resonates with something that, you know, if your mind, if you're always looking for solutions, that that's an interesting book to take a look at. What else um, jumps what, out at you? What else jumps? He has a lot of books about the African-American experience. Yep. Um, Souls of Black Folk, W.E.B. Du Bois, which of course is sort of, also his policy on how he felt like black people should conduct themselves in order to, to make headway and, and get ahead in the United States. Um, even, and that was W.E.B. Du Bois. And gosh, was that late 1800s or early 1900s that he was alive? Like you said, he, he does a lot of, he does a lot of multitasking with his fiction. Like the quiet American is sort of about, um, it's Graham Greene's classic about Americans and our, you know, how we're viewed in the world. Um, it's, it's all about this spy who is, I believe he's in Vietnam and he is involved in the politics there. And I don't want to give any spoilers away, but I, I believe he dies there. And it's sort of about just looking um, having his character as a stand-in for American culture and the choices that we make and how we interfere with other countries and how we're viewed and, you know, if we even really know what we're doing. I just um, looked up one that I'd never heard of on here called The Three-Body Problem. Uh-huh. And it's by a Chinese author named Liu Sixin. I don't know how to pronounce it. C-I-X-I-N. And it's a science fiction novel Um which I, that's also interesting to me that he 
you know, for somebody who is so interested in sort of tackling like big societal issues, then he's also doing the science fiction, like the one that you were just talking about too. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't even really tell what this is about. Well, I mean, I think the thing that, that you can say about fiction is not only does it help you develop empathy, but it does help you to solve problems, to think of things in a different way. You know, whether what you're reading about is going to be a direct solution that you can just drop in and apply, or if it's something that you can tinker with or will open up new avenues of thought. I think that that's, you know, when you're looking at books like Seven Eves and maybe the one that you are thinking about, I think that you're right, that he is thinking in certain ways. And you can tell that from his list. Mm Mm-hmm. He has a book on here that I love called Working by Studs Terkel, which is another social science type. Kind of. It's about it's it Studs Terkel went out and interviewed all these people doing all these jobs and just sort of, you know, talked to them about what is it like to do your job and what are the challenges and, you know, people from all walks of life. Um, there was actually somebody kind of updated it called in a book called Gig. And I just was looking at it because I had it on my shelf and I was trying to decide whether to keep it or not. And I ultimately decided to give it away, not because I didn't like the book, but it was so outdated. Like the the jobs people <laughs> had and the things they were doing were like, it, it was like, it came out around 2000. And in mm-hmm. 18 years, our economy has changed so much that I felt like it was it was losing that kind of interesting glimpse into someone's life and it was becoming more of a period piece. And I was like, I, that's, I, I don't think I would read it again because... I'm not going to. It's too historical. Yeah, it's just, it feels really just hard to relate to now. I wish someone would update it now. That'd be very interesting to me. Like, what is it, what is it like to have these jobs today? You know, an Amazon, uh, an Amazon warehouse staffer or a telemarketer, like things that 20 years ago were very, very different jobs, software engineer you know, somebody working in some aspect of science that didn't exist or in at some medical field that was not prominent then. Right. I think that would be very interesting. So, uh, but I like that it was, on, that he has studs Turkle on here. I think that the original one must have come out in like the forties or something. Right. Which is, which would be super historical. Sure. You. Yeah. Cause I think I picked it up at one point and then I was so excited when it was when it was updated in 2000, I was like, Oh, it's like cutting edge. Now it just feels, you know, (laughs) um, this came out. You missed your moment with it. I know. Um, I'm trying to think when this actually, when did this come out? It's funny. It says 2011, but that's because it's a new edition. Reprint. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to see when it was originally written. And I can't find that on Amazon. Not so helpful. So, what, was this for the Studs Turkle book? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, just quickly going through this list, what are your favorites of his recommendations? Well, definitely the Low Life. Love Jhumpa Lahiri. Um, I would say American Marriage, of course, the yeah. Underground Railroad. By Colson Whitehead. Um, Between the World and Me, I think, is definitely 
worth a read, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Mm-hmm. He has such a distinctive view mm-hmm. of life and way of describing it. I didn't always agree with everything that he said in his book, but it was just, it was a fascinating read. I love The Great Gatsby now. I did not when I first read it in high school. I should reread that. Um, I have yet to get past Moby Dick, get through Moby Dick. Yeah, that's not really high on my list. I mean, I think I'd put, I would put Stud Starkle on here as one of my favorites, even though if, you know, even if it's not so current. Song of Solomon's really good. The Quiet American, actually, now that I've talked about it, I would like to give it another read um, with the lens of what's going on now to see what I would take away from it, because I feel like it's a book that you can revisit and your perspective changes. Um, Cutting for Stone. I always meant mean to read it, but it's like a thousand pages long. Yeah, I have not read it. And I find it frightening. I liked redeployment quite a bit. I always like military books set in the military, and that was that one was pretty good. Yeah, now that you mentioned that it was short stories about the military, I would probably read that because I... I really enjoyed Siobhan Fallon's collection, so. Yeah, and this is told from a, di- the, a male, more of a soldier perspective as opposed to the wife. The wife, yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if anyone's like ever taken on the challenge of reading all these books. I think that some people are trying to make it maybe through his summer reading list. I don't know about just this sort of general recommendation list. And it would be interesting to see just what his summer reading lists were were like um, when he was in the White House, I guess through the last couple that he's put out and to look at specifically what those books were. Yeah. I still haven't read Fates and Furies and now they're, now they're making a movie out of it. I guess I need to get myself in gear and, and read that. And also I need to read Celestine's book. I didn't really like either one of those. I know. (laughs) You know what's not on this list is whatever he recommended last summer, 2017. Um, because this book, this list came out in January 2017. Oh, okay. But I'm looking to find it. I'm not sure he did. Oh, here we go. No, no, that's 2018. He skipped a year. He wasn't no, sure but how he, he did, felt. He did reveal his favorite books of 2017. So why don't we look at yes, those? Yes, I see that, Tom. In Time Magazine? Um, I mean, I think it's in a bunch of places. I'm seeing it here on CNN. Hollywood Reporter. Okay. Uh, let's see what they are. It says, oh, 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 that was this year. All right, here, here's his, oh my God, there's a lot of them on here. Um, okay. A Gentleman in Moscow. Yes. Uh, a Gentleman in Moscow, Sing Unburied Sing. So these are, these are sort of of a theme from as we've been talking. Evicted, poverty, and profit in the American city. Janesville. Oh, that is a book that I. That's funny. I got that from the library, but of course I had to return it because it was like a, you know, it, it, it was overdue. I really want to read that. That's about the sort of demise of a factory town um, that used to be a GM factory and then it closed, and it's all about what happened to the town after that. Um, The Power by Naomi Alderman, Grant by Ron Chernow. There's his political biographies. Exit West. Oh, Anything is Possible by Elizabeth Strout, which I have not yet read. That is the one that is the short stories based on 
Olive Kitchens, right? Yeah. Yeah. So these, these books definitely feel like consistent with what was on the longer list and what's on the 2018 list. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw some headline that's just like, oh, for the 27 reading list that his his reading list was um, throwing shade on the Trump presidency. Yeah. With the evicted and that might be right. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so if he's sending us subliminal messages through his reading list. <laughs> Not so last, subliminal. Last year's um, were really potent. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've exhausted our analysis of his uh reading tendencies we thank you barack obama for providing us with some great recommendations and fodder for a podcast yes um write to us let us know if you if you are one of the few who are trying to get through all of his picks or what you think about his picks which one did you read it would be interesting to um hear from folks um, I thought you were going to say, write to us, Barack Obama. <laughs> Let's know what you think. <laughs> well, if he if he's listening and he wants to write to us, too. That'd be great. We'd love to have and, him on the show. And clarify, and clarify yeah. any anything that we might have said about or inferred about his reading. <laughs> right. right. His reading. I would love to have him on. Yes, that would be great. I know you have a lot <laughs> of time on your hands, Barack. So just let us know what works, and Nicole and I will try to fit you in. <laughs> I'll even come down right. to his uh, his house and do it in person with him. Yeah, I would make that sacrifice. I would yeah. get. I would make that train ride. Oh, good. All right. Well, see. So yeah, we'll try. We'll push for the in person recording. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, next up, we're going to talk about celebrity book clubs, and we're going to talk about fall, uh, fall hot fiction. So, um, stay tuned for more episodes. <laughs> Happy reading. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Readerly Podcast. You can find issues of Readerly at readerlymag.com, and you can find me, Gail, blogging at Every Day I Write the Book, which is at everydayiwritethebookblog.com, and Nicole at Linus's Blanket, which is linusesblanket.com. Please subscribe to the Readerly Podcast at iTunes or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Until next time, keep reading.